I'm Josh. And I'm Jade. And this week on Our Taste is Trash, we review Gunpowder Milkshake, our list of binge-worthy shows, and talk local film in Tampa. So stick around and subscribe. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Oh my God, Jay, before we get started today, have you seen the reviews of our podcast on Apple Podcasts? Oh, yes, I have. (laughs) (laughs) So we have two one-star reviews for some reason. I mean, we've only done, what, two episodes, three episodes, episodes, plus a mini-sode. How have we so egregiously offended two individuals? Apparently, I don't know. I mean, (laughs) uh, it was surprising, but honestly, I feel like it's just one of those things. You're going to offend somebody. So, so sorry if that was you. (laughs) Is it the director of Fear Street, do you think? Because we called it trash. Do you think it's it's, it's her? Uh, Probably, obviously. Um, (laughs) And one of her friends? Yeah. (laughs) If she is listening to the show, please retweet us. (laughs) We absolutely (laughs) love you. Thank you so much. (laughs) Even if you did give us the one-star review. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's just, I mean, people are actually listening. I'm hoping, I hope it's not just something where they hit, you know, one star and go, oh, this is kind of garbage. I mean, maybe they are listening to the show and really have just very strong, very opinions. strong opinions and about our to show. each their own. I totally get it. It's, <laughs> but I mean, we only have seven so far, seven ratings total. So, I mean, this might do... be a good point to say rate the show, right? Yeah. If, if, you, you, if you do like it, please read it. Um, help us out. So thanks. <laughs> Help us get a second sponsor for the show, uh, and that would really help us out. Maybe we'll make like seven or eight dollars. Less annoying for you guys to hear <laughs> the same commercial over and over again. So, <laughs> so Jay, did you watch anything worth uh, watching this week? Uh, trash, treasure, in somewhere in between? Yeah, for sure. Um, this week I watched The Last Letter from Your Lover on Netflix. So oh. that's based on a Jojo Moyes novel. She's the author of Before You, and um, it was really cute. It was really sweet, romantic, very like typical um period like well somewhat period piece the 1960s is like one half of the film modern days the next um but yeah it was an enjoyable watch i would probably give it like a shelf um and then i watched false positive on hulu with alana glazier and justin Theroux with pierce brosnan it's this weird like horror thriller that's it's kind of psychological and basically Lana Glazier is this like woman who's married to this like rich doctor husband they've been trying to get pregnant they go to Pierce Brosnan who's her husband's like mentor in medical school and he has an IVF clinic so she gets in vitro and then she kind of starts like losing her mind a little bit like she starts to believe like there's something like going on like with the doctor and she thinks everyone's out to get her you and then as the audience, you don't know if it's like real or not. It's complete trash. Um, there's a lot of theories as to what the purpose of this film was. It was like women's autonomy. Um, our voices not being heard in the medical industry. And those are things that I can totally respect. I just think the film could have done a better job at actually portraying it. Um, but definitely do not recommend. And then, I, yeah, I finished up season three of How to Sell Your Drugs Online or How to Sell Dro- Drugs Online Fast. Um, you know, that's a show... I feel like I've always wanted to get into, and for some reason, I just have never started. No, it is so good. I actually recently found out this is based on a real person in Germany, and Netflix is doing a documentary about the actual kid that they created the show about. And it's just, there's so many, like, little nods to the fact that they've done this. Anyways, season three was fantastic. Can't wait for season four. It's going to be incredible. So, yeah. How about you? You know, 
I, I finally got into this because we had been talking about Emmy nominations a while back, and I started watching. Actually, I finished Hacks. I watched the entire season. <laughs> it's you know what's funny? It's not what I thought it was. And you're right. And I think this stems back to the conversation about having limited categories in award show because I expected it was an for those who don't know, Hacks was nominated in many categories in the comedy section. Right. Which it kind of is a comedy. I mean the the whole show She's centers a stand around stand up comedian, you think in Vegas. Yeah. yeah. So comedy. you think like I'm gonna see a lot of stand up. There's gonna be a lot of jokes. And look, there's some funny moments. There's some really great dialogue back and forth. Right. But it's actually more of a drama it in some it? regards. It is, like yeah. it's about the relationship between this kind of a hack essentially this very wealthy stand-up comedian who's made a name for herself throughout her career and, and has a standing show in Vegas and this young writer who comes in to essentially help her freshen up her material right and there's some real dramatic moments about like you know a lot of stuff. self-realization and actually what I truly loved about the show is there's some great dialogue between the generational gap yes. in terms of the boomer generation and the writer who I'm convinced, I don't know her age, the actress, but I think that she's actually a millennial, even though she says she's Gen Z. She said Gen Z and I, and was, I was like, like girl, girl, you're a millennial. You're like 30 something. Like you look my age. I'm pretty sure you're a millennial, but I don't know if they're trying to sell her as Gen I, Z. I think but... they are. I think they're trying to sell her in the show as like 22, but, yeah. uh, and, and, oh, and also the actress is Jean Smart, who is yes. a phenomenal in so many great things. You might think this is funny, Jade, but I always think about her as the mom in Garden State, even though she's done so many amazing things. I was things. like, when you said that to me at first, I was like, what? She's like in everything. I think it's been so funny because I love Garden State and it's it's that iconic scene if you've watched Garden State where Zach Braff is sitting down to breakfast at his friend's house and his friend is, or no, it's not his friend. His friend is Peter Sarsgaard right. in the movie, but the person that his mom, Gene Smart, has over is the uh, actor who plays Sheldon Cooper in The Big Bang Theory, yes. who is... His name is on the tip of my tongue. Can't think of it. We need to get our research department on that. But, <laughs> but anyway, it's just a funny scene because she's there like, oh, he's my knight. And it's like, oh, my God, this is so creepy. But anyway, <laughs> to get back to the show, there's really great dialogue about that generational gap. And to me, yeah. it's a really smart show in terms of not just talking about boomers in the sense that they're out of touch and not talking about Gen Z and millennials as if they're just lazy pieces of shit. Actually, they talk about what's wrong with each one of their generations and how they can help each other out. And to me, I found that that was the most engaging part of the show for me. But yeah, definitely. Anyway, I, I would I would rate this as a gem. It's something that you should definitely be adding to your list. Right now, it's streaming on... It's on HBO Max. HBO Max. I was, I almost, I was like, I think it's on Amazon Prime, but that's not no, it. It's yeah, HBO, HBO Max. Max. Um, and then another show that I started watching just recently that I don't know where it's going. I don't have a, quite a rating on it yet. I've only watched two episodes. White Lotus. Uh, yes, I've been watching that too. It's really... I don't know. I, I don't know what to quite so think about it yet. I enjoy it because there are all these vignettes of these characters that all happen to be at this hotel together and they came in on the same boat to the island. So that's kind of why the story centers a little bit around them and they have continuous interactions with each other and it's also a couple of the hotel employees. And this reminds me a lot of like 
short stories. Um, people tend to use very central locations like this, like hotels and other places where you have a plethora of characters, but they each have their own kind of side story happening. But um, there's no real overreaching story. Like there's no main plot that's occurring. So really it's every episode is just a kind of a new piece of everyone's story, what, what's happening with them and, and kind of like where they're going. I think by the end, once they leave the vacation, I think each character you'll see something has changed about them. Something has changed their relationship. Something has changed their um, perspective. And I think that's because kind of, it's a limited series too. Yeah. So it, it ends obviously is when they're going to leave the hotel. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's I think overall it's going to be a great show, and they're going to have some really interesting things to say. It's captured my attention. Like yeah. it's you know kind of one of those mystery. I, I want to compare it to something like. You know, American Horror Story, but it's not that go- it's not that gory and graphic. It's just because Connie Britton's in it. Maybe that just you're because Connie Britton's in it. But I mean, it's <laughs> that is true. But I, I think that it's just to the fact that it's kind of odd and suspenseful in a way that you don't understand yet. Like you know, yes. you feel like something horrible you is going to happen. It's leading up to something. Yes. I oh, you know well, what? Well, you do know what's going to happen. Yes, because someone dies at the hotel. They said um, at the in very the very beginning. beginning. You don't quite. You assume you know who it is, but you're. Right. I'm assuming that's going to be a curveball at the end. That's what I think. I almost thought I think they gave it away right in the beginning with the um Jake Lacey's character, the douchey fiance. Yes, he is such a douche. He always plays a little bit of a douchey no, guy. No, what? No, well, I guess he plays kind of funny. I guess I he plays a guy I never appreciate in, oh, like, in a movie. I love Jake Lacey in almost everything. I especially like Plop uh, <laughs> in The Office, oh season God, nine. Um, oh, my God, yes. I loved him in, oh my, God. oh, my God, what was the movie with Jenny Slate where he gets a pregnant? I don't know why I didn't make that connection. Like, that's where I recognize him from the most is the yeah. character of Plop from the office. <laughs> yeah, Pete. Pete. AKA Plop. Plop. I love that the scene when um Andy finds out that Aaron's with someone new and someone named Pete, and then that's when Pete realizes he's like, I think Andy's been calling me Plop so long. He <laughs> forgot my real name is Pete. <laughs> Another act- actress who's in this is Jennifer Coolidge, who I mean, most people will know uh, as Stifler's mom. Yes, I mean that's and from Legally Blonde. She it looks actually- like the Fourth of July. It makes me want to have a hot dog real bad. But you know, <laughs> so you know, it's so funny because I don't know that I've seen her in a role like she actually plays kind of an interesting, creepy character in this show. Well, it's it's not something I've seen before. Dramatic for her, it's yeah. a little bit more serious. Like it, it comes off as funny because it's just Jennifer Coolidge, and um, and there are some slightly comedic moments to her character, but it is a little bit more introspective for her, and she. It's a little bit of a different role for her, which I enjoy. I think she's doing a great job. And I enjoy most things with Alexandre Daddario in them just because she's in them. But she's I mean, also in a bikini. She's also like in a bikini 90% like all of the this. time. I mean, and people have recognized her, I think, from maybe movies like Baywatch or Percy Jackson. Jackson yeah. I mean, she's it's also a big one. Wasn't she also in the remake of Texas Chainsaw Massacre? Maybe years ago. I think I she's one of the people. I don't recall that movie a lot. I know. I think she was the. Um, I think she got hacked. Girlfriend in White Collar, the mysterious oh. one that we never saw until like seasons later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. interesting. But anyway, I, I'm going to keep checking it out to see how it ends. We'll give you an update here. And I, I mean, for <laughs> me, I think it's something that's interesting that I would definitely probably keep watching. I want to see what happens. Yeah, same. <laughs> I just want to know where it goes. You know, the movie that we. Let me just. <clears throat> I'm going to cut this out. Um, <laughs> 
So the movie that we reviewed this week is Gunpowder Milkshake. We were both really pumped up for it. Give me your first take on this movie because I have a lot to say. I know yes. you do too. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is a fun movie. I and we kind of said this in our last episode that we didn't really have any expectation for this to be like out of the water amazing, but I think we both expected it to be exactly what it is, and it's just like a fun, cool action flick and. Um, yeah, I think it was just super enjoyable. I, who knows if maybe this will become like a low-key cult film. Um, but, you know, I, I just had a good time. I, I could totally see this becoming something that we pull out and kind of remember in the future as something really kind of fun. And, mm-hmm. you know, because I, I wrote something down that I, I really want to say just as I, was, as I was watching this movie. And I said... If I were going to describe it to someone, I'd say it's an all-female, kick-ass, action-filled, neon-lit <laughs> thrill ride Yes, that's perfect for summer. Like, yeah. when I go to a movie in the summertime, this is exactly what I want to see. I want right. to see people kicking ass. I want to see a body count. Right. I want to feel just excited the entire time. Yeah. I mean, both from the aspect of an action movie and from the aspect of a filmmaker There's so many little hidden nuggets in here, if you're someone who loves film, that you can reference that we're going to talk about. I mean, it was exciting. The cast was amazing. Really great stuff. So, Jade, I'm really excited for this movie, and we're going to talk more about it. (laughs) (laughs) But first, I didn't think this conversation was going to be this controversial. We were talking right before the show about binge-worthy TV shows that we're watching. And, and you know, we have a lot that we've talked about here on the show. You know, we, we talked about some underrated titles. I talked about Dairy Girls. Mm-hmm. And we went back and forth about what we meant by binge-worthy. And I'm going to have you start here, Jade. What constitutes a binge-worthy show in your mind? Well, binging, obviously, is just watching something through without, you know, like it's an entire day so like I could watch entire seasons of a show in one day so that's a binge right so you you power through it and for me when I binge something binging is like it's something that you can easily watch through right like you don't have to you don't have to sit too much on it you don't have to think too hard it's not like this emotionally exhausting mentally taxing show it's it's exciting uh keeps you on the edge or it's like funny and the plot's moving through and you can just you know get through it typically not super long seasons obviously if you're sitting and down you know it's usually like six to maybe like 10 or 12 episodes so that is what i think of when <laughs> i think of binge worthy so i think i'm similar but maybe i differ just a little bit here so for me binge worthy is kind of like a stephen king book in terms of when i read stephen king I want to get to the next page or the next chapter as quickly as possible because it's so exciting to keep going. So I think for me where it differs, it doesn't matter for me if it's a mentally taxing show or not. If I want to watch that next episode or get to the next season, I could sit down and watch, you know, I think some obvious choices here are like Breaking Bad. Like I've already said, that's probably my favorite show ever, but I've sat down and binge watched entire seasons of that show before in one weekend when I've done nothing, obviously, because those episodes are like an hour long. Um, You know, I mean, so I think that if it's a page turner in terms of a film where I want to get to that next episode, that to me is binge worthy. And I wanted, before we start our list, I wanted to take out some of the obvious choices. I mean, you know, we could sit here and talk about binge worthy 
Parks and Rec. Right, yeah. The Office, Seinfeld. I mean, these are movies, or movies, TV shows that I think are pretty obvious, right? I mean, most people have seen at least a couple of episodes. They know what Seinfeld is. They know what The Office is, right? Yeah. I wanted to get more into shows that maybe you've scrolled across on Netflix or Amazon Prime and gone, what is that? Is that interesting? And I know that you and I, Jay, dig into those. So, you know, no particular order here. But what's something that comes to your mind when you think binge-worthy? Someone can sit down and watch this. Um, So I'm going to say, like, recently I actually just watched this through because the second season's about to drop. So Into the Night on Netflix. It's a Belgian show. And it's about a bunch of people who get um, who are on an airplane that gets hijacked. And the man who hijacks the plane says... We need to fly west. We need to fly away from the sun. The sun is killing everyone. And soon enough, as they are flying, they begin to realize that what he's saying is true. So now they are on this plane and they have to continuously outrun the sun. And so the entire time you're watching, it's just a thrill ride through and through. You're you're waiting for them to figure out what's happening. You're, you're with them as they're trying to find a solution. Where do they go? And there's, of course, always problems that arise like, refueling the plane, finding a place to stop. Uh, there's interpersonal issues between the characters on the plane. Um, and it's just a thrill ride. And it's it's just a great overall show. And like I said, season two is going to be dropping soon. So definitely bingeable. And where's that streaming again? Netflix. Oh, Netflix. Okay. <laughs> you know, that sounds kind of, and I haven't watched this show either, but it sounds a little bit, what's that NBC show, Manifest? It is not at all. I mean, Manifest is just, they arrive on an airplane that's been through time. Oh, okay. See, I, I didn't know the plot to that one no, either, no, no, so no, I just no. knew it had a plane and something odd happened. <laughs> no, it's almost kind of like Langoliers is what I would oh, relate it to a little wow. bit more. Yeah. Oh, I've seen Langley. That's been a long time yes. since I've seen that show. That like memory unlocked kind of thing. Yeah, I would say it's closer to that than it would be to Manifest. You know what's ha- when I made this list, Jade? I found out I have a type of show, and it's either they're all period pieces, oh, pretty God. much, except for one medieval type stuff or like. <laughs> Elizabethan Victoria era TV shows are apparently my so thing. So bizarre. Uh, very bizarre. But I'm going to start off with one that I think people have forgotten about. Marco Polo on Netflix. It cost a shit ton of money to make. I think it cost them something like $200 million a season or something like that. It got nominated for a bunch of awards. If you will remember, this this series started in 2014. I think mm-hmm. it, was, it won three Emmys. It was nominated for five. And... You know, the acting was really good. The story was really engaging. If you like, you know, stuff with fight scenes and kind of historical drama, <laughs> this is a this is a series for you. And it's easily bingeable because there's only, I think, 20 episodes. They only did two seasons before it got canceled. Right. I want people to go watch it because I'm hoping that one day Netflix will resurrect the series and make a season three, which we all deserve. Oh. Those of us who really held on to Progressive it. But... development much? <laughs> That's mm. No, it's not. Come on. (laughs) No, it's really good. You know, you probably wouldn't recognize too many of the actors. Uh, One of the people that I will say that is really excellent in this is Benedict Wong. Oh, well, he's incredible. And he's incredible. He's a lot of things. Was he in the... 
He's in Doctor Strange. Yeah. He's in the Marvel uh, yes. and Avengers. And then uh, Deadly Class on Sci-Fi, which got canceled. Yeah. Annihilation. He's, yes. he's in The Martian. So he's very recognizable. He plays uh, Kubla Khan in this series. Yes. Excellent, excellent acting. Really centers the entire show. Definitely add it to your list. If it's something where you have a rainy day or you're sick and you want to try something new, Marco Polo, put it on your list. Netflix. If that's your kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so what's um, something else maybe that you would put on your list? Um, I'm also going to say Fleabag. And Ooh, that I, one. This is one I would have on my list as well. Yes. I, you suggested this show to me. I did, I yeah. I love this show. Um, this is written and starring Phoebe Waller-Bridges. as She's done Crashing and a couple other different shows before. And this, this one, it's two seasons. They're very quick. Second season, by and far, the absolute best. If you literally just want to watch the second season, you don't even have to watch the first for, like, relevance. Um, but it is just so beautiful, like, beautifully written. I love the concept. So the main character, she's kind of dealing with some emotional stuff, and she has a lot of issues with that and, like, sex as well. And she does the same. She talks to camera very, like, Amelie. And uh, she so, like, basically, like, as she works through things, you she's – painted as kind of this like shitty person right like she actually doesn't have a name her name in the show is Fleabag not that anyone calls her that but that is how she's referencing herself is Fleabag but no character at any point in time says her name and that's the idea is she feels like she is just not a whole person that she's not deserving of like certain types of like love um anyways it, it's just great I, I love it job. I even love some of the characters how they're titled like I think the dad is literally just titled as dad, dad and the mom yeah. is mom like it's all told from her perspective right the entire show and it's it's excellent it's really smart the dialogue's amazing I, definitely add it to your list because i burned through the first when that second season was released i was like yeah sat down for an entire day and pretty much watched you know most of it yeah i mean you can power through it and by the end you're just like holy shit <laughs> Okay, so here's another one. Again, I said I had a type that for me, Harlots on <laughs> Harlots oh is so God. it's so it's just petty and dramatic. It the sets are great, the costumes are great. I mean, it's set in what I think 17th century England or London and centers around uh, basically a whorehouse, essentially. And <laughs> I mean it has some really great Actors in it, and oh, actresses, I should say. Names that you would probably recognize. One, the madam is Samantha Morton, who is, I mean, basically in everything, right? Uh, yes. She was in one of my shows that's coming back. I know that you don't appreciate. She was recently in a season of The Walking Dead. Oh, God. <laughs> but she's been in, you know, so many things. And then Jessica Brown Finley uh, plays her daughter. I know her best, I think most people do, from Downton Abbey, but I know she's been in a number of things. Uh, another great show that you should definitely binge watch if you haven't, but Harlots is great. I think it's, it only has three or four seasons on Hulu, something like that, but Liv Tyler shows up in the later seasons. She <laughs> plays another great character in the show. I mean, if you like you know, 17th century, just kind of petty, dramatic fun engaging stuff i mean even some of the dialogue's really great like i think it's a well-written show it's it's beautifully shot uh you know and you get great performances added to your list it's kind of fun kind of trashy and i loved it i was there for every episode <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh my gosh. My next show would probably be The Beforeners on HBO Max. Another so, one I haven't gotten into yet. <laughs> yeah, this one is really good. I think they said they're going to be doing a second season, which I'm like, I hope. Uh, this is a Norwegian show, and this basically is a story about how these kind of wormhole portals start popping up around the world and people from different centuries are coming through them. They don't really know how these portals work, the wormholes, and they can't quite figure it out, but they've started to establish plans in place on how to integrate these people into new society. So what they know is it's coming from three different timelines. There's like caveman, Viking, and like 1800s. And basically revolves around this police officer who was there during like one of the very first events. And it's I think it's like seven years later. His life has drastically changed as the world has changed. And for the very first time on the Norwegian police force, they have a woman who used to be from the Viking era who joins the force. And she's kind of this like new wave of really integrating these different people. They call them the foreigners. And uh, basically they kind of start figuring out some things around why this is happening, uh, who the, like some of these people that are coming through the portal and they struggle also with like things from the past. Like she comes across a man who had raped her when she was 12 and that is, you know, we're in a new world now. She's like, what do I do? What, like, how do I handle this? And, you know, it's those interpersonal things that are from the past that you're now dealing with present laws. And anyways, it's just, it's very fascinating. It's um, a great, like, kind of mystery, a little bit of sci-fi. And let me tell you, that ending at the end of season one, well, it blows me away. You know, you actually, uh, we were watching some shows here at the house and you added this to my list and I'm really excited <laughs> to start watching this. This is one that's now on my list. So yes. I will also recommend this just because most of Jay's recommendations are solid. Thank you. And, and, and here's here's a controversial pick that I'm going to do now because this is the one that we had controversy over. Peaky Blinders on Netflix is one of my favorites. It, it has gotten a little more popular. So I, I feel like this is not one of those buried treasures. But I, I've literally sat down and watched an entire season in like a day. I, I love it. It's so, (laughs) I mean, it's a gangster movie, and that's what it is. I love these. I mean, it's 19th century England. So one, it's to me the costuming is great. The accents are great. It centers around this character of uh, Tommy Shelby, who is the leader of this gang called the Peaky Blinders, and it's he and his brother come back from World War One. And try to establish essentially a street gang based on horse betting. That's how they start off. Obviously, more things happen throughout. I mean, other actors you might recognize in the show are Adrian Brody shows up in one of the seasons. You have uh, Tom Hardy plays an amazing gangster. He is outstanding. I would say watch the show just for Tom Hardy because he (laughs) is so good as the character of Alfie. Did he also have a show similar like that called Taboo on FX? He did. He does have a show called Taboo. Yeah. Uh, doesn't really play the same character, but he is but that mumbly. Similar. Like, is that, yes. is that blah, 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 Tom yeah. Hardy? Blah, blah. I can't even do it, but like, that's, he does like this really mumble <laughs> mouth, I call impression. it. Very, it's, they're like, wow, is that, is Tom Hardy is here? Tom Hardy? Is, yeah. he, is he in the studio right now? <laughs> I love this show. I mean, it has, I'm going to butcher his name because I didn't actually look up because I don't do my research before the show. Is it Killian Murphy? Or Cillian Murphy. I think it's Killian Murphy. I've always called him Killian, but it might be Cillian. I think just because he's like Irish, right? It's Killian Murphy. Yeah, because I was gonna say my I have a friend named Killian, and it's a, so it's so yeah. we'll, we're just we're just gonna call it Killian Murphy. But 
people would recognize him if you watched uh, 28 Days Later. He was yes. in that film. Red he Eye. He also played in Batman. Which one? Where yeah, he played the Scarecrow. scarecrow. Was yeah, that? that was Return. Batman Returns, yes. Yeah. So he, he has been in a lot of other things, has some notoriety and a lot of fame in other shows. I love the Peaky Blinders and definitely something I think you should add to your list on Netflix. And I'm going to sneak one more in here, Jade, real quick, because it's another guilty pleasure. That's <laughs> not, it's not a period piece. Really? I love this book series. It's the magicians. Yes. This show starts off. This is a trash show. So, so if you <laughs> don't get your hopes up that this is something that's going to win awards, but <laughs> the first season is kind of serious. At right, first, maybe two, it really follows the books where it's, I always call it like a dark version of Harry Potter. That's kind of what The Magicians is about. It's kind of if, yeah, it's bit. kind of if you know magic was real in real life, and some people have this gift to tap into it, and others kind of don't. But it's not kind of the Harry Potter ish where you magic is like easy and it comes. It's really difficult, even if you do have the talent right. to learn and shit goes wrong a lot. So like yes. magic is yeah. dangerous well, tool that people they use. actually pull in modern things whereas like harry potter even though technically they, they were in the outside world they were here in the, yeah. uh, in the modern world but like uh, when they were at hogwarts you felt like you're in a completely different century yes. and they didn't use modern things like cell phones and there was no internet and there <laughs> were no like modern weapons so <laughs> but i mean the show I, I forget how many seasons it has but it really jumps the shark in the last couple seasons and i mean they do i love it i mean there are probably like in the last two seasons like three or four musical episodes yeah and they just get really out there but i love i loved every moment of it i mean it, it, it started in sci-fi i think it's on netflix now streaming i think netflix now has it, is, it but all the seasons go watch that i mean if you are this would be something i would say jade if you wanted to start if you got sick or just had a day where you didn't want to do anything like turn this on it's mindless even if you miss a couple of minutes of dialogue yeah. you're not going to get lost this is like if you guys have watched the order on netflix this is what the order wanted to be <laughs> you know like the magicians is really where it's at so it's crazy okay so let's close it out here Jade what what other suggestions do you have for folks out there uh so yeah my last one's gonna be the marvelous Mrs. Maisel on oh Amazon God. Prime um this one has so won good. multiple Emmys Rachel Brosnahan is the main uh character she is basically this like 19 I think it's about the 60s right I think so. 50s, 60s, 50s, 60s yeah. yeah. She's this housewife and um to her husband and she's like she does kind of a douche. Who, oh my god, he's, <laughs> he's just douche. so worried about his own freaking problems. He doesn't realize which how, doesn't he doesn't really have real problems. No, he doesn't. He basically wants to be a stand-up comedian, and his wife he's supports terrible. him wholeheartedly. Yeah, he's terrible, and she, but she is this very natural like gift of just comedy, like everything that she says is everything's always a kind of a joke and a punch like punchline, and and she wants to help him and support him, and he decides that he's having this existential crisis cheats on her and leaves her so now she's you know kind of on her own for the first time in this world that's not really made for women to be on their own so she has her two kids they're separated not divorced and the first night of them him leaving her she gets drunk goes out in her nightgown to the comedy club where he normally performs and gives this drunken performance and it completely like blows everyone away they're like laughing and basically the woman working there is like i want to be your manager you should do stand-up comedy so the rest of the show kind of you know revolves around that her trying her hand to stand-up comedy in a world where really women are not given that chance they're not taken that seriously and at the same time she's still trying to save her marriage and her relationship and and 
also, you know, deal with her finally figuring out what she wants from life. It's just, it's so brilliantly written. The jokes are absolutely hilarious. The costuming, everything is gorgeous. Um, highly recommend. I think they have like three seasons right now. And uh, yes. they're supposed to be yep. a fourth. COVID obviously has slowed that down. <laughs> just a little bit. Uh, you know, with everything else. But uh, yeah, definitely worth a binge. I, I agree with you. And- Am I wrong in saying this? Was this show also written by Gossip Girl creators? Is that correct? I felt like I... (laughs) Maybe not. Maybe I'm thinking Um, of a different show here. I don't think so. The main actress, though, is Rachel uh, Brosnahan, who some people might recognize from another Netflix series, uh, House of Cards. Uh, She played a small role in that show. And I know she was in something else, and it's kind of escaping me right now. Okay, that's right. I am... Sorry, the writers of this is Amy Sherman Palladino, who wrote Gossip, or not Gossip Girl, but uh, Gilmore Girls. Gilmore that's Girls. What that's what thinking I'm thinking of. of. I That brain fart. Okay. I was so, like, Gil- I don't think that that's... No, no, no. <laughs> that's what I was trying to... Gilmore yes. Girls. That's, that's what I was going for. I have yes. too many shows in my mind right now. So. Which you can tell because it's all a lot of fast pace talking yes. as well um but i actually but enjoy this show more than gossip girls like i all right gossip Gil- girls why gilmore, gilmore girls. girls i have gossip girls on my gossip girl on my mind right now because i have been watching that show still and Good still God. checks out i love it i love it it's trashy it's great gilmore girls let's go back to gilmore girls i <laughs> i appreciate gilmore girls because i really enjoyed the story the dialogue's mm-hmm. great it's a smart show I never really got into it. Like, it wasn't my favorite show. Oh, yeah. I mean, I was obviously very young when this came out, when Gilmore Girls first came out. So as a young girl watching that show, of course, I loved it. Small town, mother and daughter, yeah. they're super close. Like, it was super Clever fun. dialogue, snappy, back Yeah, and like forth. funny, witty, whatever. Um, and then I rewatched Well, first of all, I remember as I aged, as the show went on, I slowly began to realize that I did not like Rory. And yeah, and now as an adult, looking back on it too, there's so many things that actually truly aggravate me about both Lorelai and Rory that I'm like, what the hell? Like, why? Why? Why do you make these decisions? Why are you like this? Your life is not as hard as you make it seem to be. Like, it's just super frustrating in a lot of moments. So... And a lot of times too, I felt like, because I kind of went back and rewatched some of those episodes in Gilmore Girls. I feel like the show is too smart sometimes. You know what I mean? With the dialogue. Mm. You know, shows try to be too smart. Whereas you get that same pacing of the dialogue. Maybe it's a little bit slower in The Marvelous Miss Maisel. <laughs> but, and it's still smart without being in your face, without yes. being obnoxious about it. You know right. what I mean? Like, it's like, I'm, we're smart, it's engaging, but we're not too smart for you. You can still kind of engage with us a little bit. Yeah, definitely. I mean, like, the fact that they named their dog Paul Sanka, and I was like, who the hell is that? <laughs> and at one point, he makes an appearance in the show, and I'm like, I still don't get it. I don't get it, yeah. <laughs> it's like the Donnie Darko comedy. Like, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you're like, I don't know, who's this? All right, well, Jade, I know we both want to get into Gunpowder Milkshake, but let's take a quick break, and we'll come back and give our review of that show. All right, see you then. serial killer what you kill people yes and you've killed more than one that is serial it's more complicated than that okay gunpowder milkshake streaming now on netflix star-studded cast i'm sure we'll get through all of them here in a second but jade 
just for folks who maybe haven't watched yet, walk us through the plot here. Yeah, so basically we have Scarlett, and she's a professional assassin who works for the firm, and she is forced to abandon her daughter, Sam, and she goes on the run. So Sam ends up being taken into the firm and is now their new assassin. She has grown up and she is now also a cold-blooded hit woman. So when she gets given a mission by the firm to get this accountant who works for them to get the money back that he stole, she ends up killing him but realizing it was because his daughter was kidnapped. So she decides to go and save his daughter and in the process, gets herself in trouble with the firm and then is now on the run with the young girl she, she saved and then goes to the group of women called the librarians and they fight back against the firm. Now, Jade, we talked a little bit about this in the beginning of the show, what we liked about it, but, you know, let's start kind of from the beginning here because I have so many notes, so many thoughts on stylistic acting, film references, what are some things that maybe just jumped right out at you in the first couple minutes of the film? Yeah, so definitely this has uh, that kind of like neon, like techno thriller look to it. The visuals in this were absolutely incredible. I mean, the lighting, the costuming, the set, um, just the color choices that they chose, very film noir. um, and, And I think it just lent itself to this kind of like thrill ride of a movie, it felt a little bit out of place, out of time, which I actually thoroughly enjoyed. And I thought yeah. they did that very well. I, I, I agree with you. You know, I feel like I talk about title cards way too much in this show, and maybe I'm just nerdy like that. No, but I like title cards the thing too. That, like, <laughs> I, I instantly was sold on this movie because I love when films take an extra couple of minutes to bring you into what they're trying to create right in the beginning. They don't screw right. around with, you know, oh, here's a generic, like, made by Netflix, or here's a generic, mm-hmm. like, you know, insert whatever you want, WB, right here. Right in the beginning, you get this neon-lit, kind of 1950s film noir Netflix diner card yes. right in the beginning, and then gunpowder milkshake right after that, and it's lit up like it's a, you know, 1950s road sign that you would yeah. see if you were to go into a diner, and I right. was like... I am in. Like, you have hooked me. I am going to put my phone down now, and I am here for the next two hours. Yes. And that was the other thing that jumped out right to me immediately, Jade, is I remember I did pause the movie to use, I think, the restroom or grab some water, but, like, the movie was over, so I just continued watching it because I was like, oh, well, maybe there's more movie left. And I was like, holy shit, I've been sitting here for an hour and 50 minutes, and it didn't feel like it. Like, I no. did not feel like I had been sitting there for a two-hour movie. It felt Same. like 90 minutes. It felt like you know your short, standard action movie. But they added 30 minutes more content, and I barely noticed. No, I mean, it definitely pulls you through. There are no really heavy, slow moments that drags the film down. I mean, you're in the plot almost, like, almost immediately, and then you're just kind of there for the ride. I mean, they really just do a great job with pacing on this film. So, I mean, yeah, I didn't feel that 150 or an hour. Yeah. 150 and, minutes. Whatever. And you know what I, I think helps with that is the star studded cast. I mean, you have oh, definitely Karen Gillian, you have uh, Lena Headey, you have uh, Carl Giugiano. Am I saying that right? Ju- Ju- Carla Gugino. Gugino. And why Karen can Gillen. I not? Uh, Karen, I just said Gillian. I, I think you I said, said Gillian. Did I say Gillian? I'm not doing well with this. I need I need a research person in here to give me the enunciations on my sheet. But Michelle Yao, I know that is right. Yes. <laughs> Paul Giamatti, Angela Bassett. I mean, 
you couldn't ask for a better cast for this type of a movie. I mean, really. No, I mean, these are incredible people, and they're really what sold me on watching this film. 100%. So... I do want to talk about something that did annoy me a little bit, though, and it was right in the beginning. So, obviously, we already said this, you get real film noir vibes. I mean, it's obvious from the killer, Sam, who we see, or the assassin. She's in this trench coat with this, like, very, I don't know, detective-y hat, I want to call it, kind of, that she's wearing in the first maybe 30 minutes. It's very Dick Tracy. Yes, very Dick Tracy, but... Here's the, there's several slow motion scenes throughout the film which are expected. It's an action movie. You get these, you know, gunfight scenes and you get these, you know, other fight scenes that have slow motion. But I want to say in the first 15 minutes of the film, there are these random moments with uh, the mom who's, you know, Lena Headey mm-hmm. and Sam, the assassin when she's younger where they just randomly switch to slow-mo and I found myself kind of taken out of the movie for a second going why are we in slow motion? What? We're not doing anything. We're just staring at each other. Like literally it's just characters looking at each other. I didn't notice that at all. Yeah, it was really odd. It was like in the first moment where you see young Sam in the diner with Paul Giamatti and you see uh, Lena Headey's character who is Scarlet. Scarlet. Yeah, uh, the other another assassin in the film. And they're just like looking at each other and walking by each other in the diner. And I'm like, is there a reason we're in slow motion? Is someone about to get, like, I thought someone was going to get killed or there was someone going to jump out and nothing happened. And I was like, okay, well, I guess that's just a stylistic choice. But other than that, I mean, I thought it was very well used, but there were just a couple moments in the beginning where I was just like, eh, whatever, you know? Yeah. Anything that really kind of bothered you about this film that you were like, that could have been a little bit better maybe? Yeah, for sure. I mean, obviously they had the stars of the cast and it wasn't, really until about an hour into the film that they really played a huge part. Um, So I was a a little bit kind of disappointed that I didn't get to see enough of them. I wanted to see a little bit more fighting and a little bit more action from these characters, especially because, you know, they kind of gave them each their own, like, style, which I thought was so freaking cool. So we have Carla Gugino with the tomahawk. We have Michelle Yao with the chain. We have Angela Bassett with, like, I think she has, like, the hammer or something. Um, and oh, she has the dual hammers. Yeah, she has the, the dual, dual hammers. hammers in that one fight scene. Oh, yes, my goodness. Incredible. So and then you have Lena Headey with her um, double, like, pistol that has the detachable like knives I was like this is so freaking cool but like I mean I think we got maybe 20 to 30 minutes of that whole entire like scene so I think I wanted to see just a little bit more a little bit more of that I I think you know that might be my other one complaint about this film you had all of these amazing actresses and aside from the main actress, you know, who plays the character of Sam, and you had uh, Chloe Coleman, who's the daughter, who yes. had some great one-liners. Oh my god! I mean, she's yeah. always great in so many movies. I'm challenged to think of some of them off the top of my head. She was in that one movie with The Rock. The, I remember the as a daughter, the Tooth Fairy, mm-hmm. and several others that you'd probably recognize her from. Fantastic, but I mean, I think everyone else, for the most part. I don't think they got a lot of screen time. I mean, they got their own little cameos here yeah. and they had a couple of one-liners. But overall, I feel like this movie could have been another 30 minutes and given me more backstory on some of the characters and maybe even some more action sure. scenes with some of these characters as well. Yeah, I think that part was the only thing that was really lacking for me. So to kind of break down and get more into this, I, I have a lot of questions, Jade. More questions than really answers maybe context for our viewers <laughs> here. One that jumps up right away, we have all these great scenes in this particular diner. Do you think this movie could bring back or a nostalgia for diner culture? 
Is it I that don't powerful? No, you know, I don't necessarily think that it's going to bring that back, but I think that has always kind of been there. I feel like the use of the diner is something that almost every film director kind of inserts as this like nod to this like slower, more gritty kind of like a different part of like life. You know, if you think about it, it's it's so many scenes happen in diners so many fight scenes happen in diners like there's you know the punisher he's found inside of a diner there's um what was the one movie with channing tatum that was like oh, um, uh, he was fighting i think um some woman and he, there was also this a is scene. a really great show it's a show about we can't I, remember anyone's I, I name or any shows anything. this is a really great podcast yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but anyways but thinking back i mean i'm sure people right now listening to Screaming this it can out. name like 10 different you know fight Pulp scenes fiction. and things that happen yeah like, that happened Pulp in a diner. classic yeah yeah um so i just feel like they're kind of still just playing into that same idea and i think it's always kind of just been there as like the diners are the place where things happen. I mean, you know, I, I come from the Northeast and when we would go and watch new movies in theaters or, you know, friends, we would always go to a diner because we'd usually go late on a Friday or Saturday yeah. night. We'd, you know, go to the 10, 11 o'clock showing and the diners were open yeah. 24 hours and you'd go and grab breakfast so and a coffee. And We used to do the same thing. So we don't have, <laughs> there's really not diners. <laughs> I, I, like as a young teen grew up in Riverview. So there's no diners there really, uh, especially there are 24 hours. Yeah. So the closest thing to us was Steak and Shake. And <laughs> okay, that yeah. was open 24 kind of diner-ish. hours. diner-ish. Yeah, I mean, it's a diner style. And that was the same exact thing. It was like after you go do stuff with your friends, you go there and you get burgers and milkshakes. Like, you know, it's just a thing. Also, it's like, this is still that heavy nod to 1950s. And yes. this diner itself seems to be almost kind of like the hotel from John Wick a little bit. It seems to be a neutral meeting place for people. So um, we see right off the bat, uh, as each character enters, we have Rose the waitress, and she says, can I lighten your load? And then we see that that means she wants to take the weapons away because this is supposed to be where people obviously are not meant to be killing or hurting each other, which is why I think it's a, a neutral meeting place it kind of reminds me of like what is the hotel i'm thinking hotel artemis kind of vibe where you know this is for anyone to come and meet but you can't fight and you can't shoot each other here in this restaurant yeah which is why i think it was like the whole reason sam had brought one of the books with the guns in it for scarlet because i think that was the only way that they were able to bring that weapon in Mm, that makes a lot of sense i'll say you know talking about things we loved the fight scenes in this movie. You know, honestly, we just reviewed the Fear Street series. The Fear Street director and creator could take some notes from the creator of this movie because (laughs) there wasn't a fight scene that I wasn't just pumped and excited for. I mean, from just all-out craziness to just hilarious and funny. I mean, there was there was the whole range of different... I hope you can't hear that off screen. I'm knocking things over here, but... (laughs) Off mic. But... (laughs) You know, in terms of the fight scenes, there really is just a little bit of everything in here. No, I mean, truly, you you get inventive fight scenes, too. Like, the whole entire bowling alley scene, she has to give up her weapon. And so when the the boneheads, the Three Stooges, they come (laughs) to fight her, essentially, she has to kind of get creative with how she fights them without a traditional weapon. And so you you see her utilizing those skills and it's it's so fun. It's you know, it's it's interesting. It's not just gunfights the whole time. And you know, the the fight scene directly after that, it's not really a fight scene, it's more of just a she kills a bunch of people, but uh, so it's 
as we said in the movie, when she finishes fighting these boneheads from the firm who are coming after her for the suitcase of money, she actually is going after the thugs who had kidnapped this other man's daughter who she's looking after. And what I like about these random four thugs, they're all dressed like classic horror movie from Universal characters. You know, you have oh, well, werewolf. So those are the thieves. Those the aren't thieves. the three. Oh, no, yeah, 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 yeah. They're not the boneheads, but they're the, the thieves that want yeah. the money uh, for the ransom for this daughter and or this little girl. And they're dressed like there's werewolf, there was a vampire, there was Frankenstein, and I didn't catch what the other one Dracula. was. Dracula. Yes, Dracula. Which had a great kill because he's well, Dracula. That's what I was going to say. I love the kill because it's a throwback to classic horror cinema. She breaks off a mop handle and stakes this guy to kill him. And yeah, it's right like stake through the heart. And I was like, oh, this is this great. Is, yeah. They're wearing horror movies. It's a classic kill. Like, yeah, it was, it was fun. It was funny. It was a little like kind of on the nose a little bit. But like it was, again, it was just, it was clever. You know, and you're like, oh my god, that's you know, it's, it's just, clever. Take a guy in a vampire mask, like you know what this movie really gave me vibes of. Talking about fight style, there's been a lot of references, and I, I read some other critic reviews. I, I heard John Wick a lot, and obviously there's some great, you know, gunfighting scenes and you know little things, maybe references here and there stylistically that you could compare to John Wick. I got a lot of Kill Bill from this. Like every time I saw her, I was like. Even though the, a lot of the fights take place with guns rather than swords that we see in Kill Bills. Right. Even the the villains, to me, I wrote down in my notes, Crazy 88s. Like, they felt to me like the Crazy 88s from the Kill Bill series. Yeah, well, especially because that was kind of a climactic scene for Kill Bill where she's fighting all of the Crazy 88s. And then we kind of get that again when they're at the library and it's like her and her mom are just up against, you know, the rest of the farm. So there's definitely like a lot of allusions to that as well, um, especially with like the kind of iconography that they're setting up. So, I mean, if we if we back all the way up, back to the diner. So we get intro to Scarlett and Sam, Scarlett being Sam's mother. Then we see that Scarlett had to leave and Sam was taken away from her. So now we know that Sam is employed by the firm. So Paul Giamatti is basically the HR, head of HR. I guess, yeah, kind of, I guess. Hilarious. Yeah. Well, that's what he, he literally <laughs> said. He's like, I'm the head of HR at the firm. Um, and so he's kind of her handler. So he's there at the diner and he gives her this mission. So he tells her, we have an accountant who works for us. He's stolen a bunch of money. I need you to go get it back. Um, he's like, by any means necessary. So she's like, okay, so... But before this had happened, she had just finished a mission where she was supposed to just kill one person, but she was ambushed by a group of men. And she killed them all, of course, to protect herself. But one of them happened to be the son of a rival gangster team uh, run by Mr. McAllister. So that's going to come into play later in the in the movie. But at this point, Balgiamani's like, oh, you have to scrub your guns. Like, you can't use the same guns because now those are going to be linked to those kills. So this is where we get introduced to the concept of the library. So we see her brain, which first iconic thing is this yellow duffel bag that says, I heart kittens. All <laughs> yes. of her weapons are in this duffel bag. And so she enters into this historic library, and that's where we meet Carlo Gugino, who plays Madeline. And we begin to realize that this is an armory. And there's this very clever wordplay of checking out books, and books obviously meaning weapons. And then she gets brought back, and then we get to meet the rest of our cast. Uh, so that's where we see Anna May, played by Angela Bassett, uh, Florence, played by Michelle Yao. And then you realize they have 
this history, right? Like they, these women, know Scarlet. Um, and they were pretty pissed that she like left them. So this is kind of the first time Sam has really interacted with them since she was a child. Yeah. So we get some really good backstory here. Um, it's our first introduction to like the characters of the librarians and this concept of like the libraries, the armory, which I think is super cool. I think they do. Oh, it's super fun. Yeah. yeah. Like they do so many clever things with their sets and locations. Um, so yeah, like this was such a great foray into what we're going to find out later of what kind of who the librarians are yeah and you know one thing for me to uh, animate here's what i ought to say so we we do see some references in the show or in the movie to japanese cartoons and i think at one point sam is even wearing kind of a a cartoon with with japanese writing on it as well there's a t-shirt at one point that she's wearing early in the movie is anime the character a reference do you think like a nod to anime or is that just too obvious am i reading too much into this no i don't think it is (laughs) i think they have very traditional names i think most of them actually reminded me of um very iconic like books like i was thinking of scarlet scarlet letter florence florence nightingale i was thinking of like i don't know like Anyways, they just felt like very, like Madeline, like Madeline, the little character Madeline, which is also a book series. That's where my brain went when I was hearing these names, but I don't think it's a reference to anime. <laughs> so we we were just, you know, talked a little bit about the bowling scene. So obviously after she gets armed and everything like that, she goes and tries to get the money back from this guy who we find out is just trying to get his daughter back. Right. That's been kidnapped by these random thieves, as we referenced, uh, with the classic horror movie masks. And then the firm boneheads try to come and <laughs> yes. get the money from her when she's trying to hand it off. Everything goes wrong. The money gets blown up. There is no more money anymore because of a grenade that goes off, of course, right. in one of the action scenes. But what we get next, so there's also, we have that diner that's a safe zone. And we have this hospital as well, this medical center. It's the, so he's a dentist. A dentist, that's what yeah, it is. Yeah, and he's, I reference him as the dentist. And um, but yeah, like, I, the, by the way, the locations of this of this movie are so on point because we have it's just the diner the library right then we have the dentist which is like our underground hospital network for yeah. like these assassins and for the firm and then we have um gutterball bowling gutterball bowling i love I the names hilarious. yeah <laughs> and then when she goes to the mall uh she meets the thieves at video beast which is like an old video store <laughs> it might be a video down. king like because we used yes. to have a video king rental well, like i was, and it was like funny oh, yeah. because it was like this format of video stores is kind of going out and then they're also wearing the mask of these very classic horror characters um being in the video store i don't know just felt there's so many nods to other film like yeah you know we we said kill bill is obvious throughout the movie john wick you could say references to that classic horror uh later on we'll talk a little bit there's some nods even to spaghetti westerns at one point in one of the standoff scenes so i mean (laughs) If you love film and love little nods to cinema and have watched as many films as probably you or I have, Jade, right. like, you're really going to love just some of the, you know, little nods, like I said, to some of these other films. But one of my favorite fight scenes in the dentist office Ugh. of the entire movie yeah. is you have, again, you have Let's these three in. guys, <laughs> yeah, the boneheads who have been beaten up already by the assassin Sam. She beat them up in the boating alley. They're all messed up and have either one's in a wheelchair, one (laughs) is like like on crutches, one has a neck brace. And (laughs) they 
you know, Sam comes back is is trying to get patched up from her other fights that she's been in. Right. Also trying to reunite the daughter with her dad who had been brought because she had, you know, shot, shot him, him accidentally. And then the would-be boneheads discover, oh man, we can get her. We have an opportunity. She's vulnerable. The doctor gives us her this ridiculous shot oh my that's God. like numbs her arms, I guess. I don't really understand how that's it's supposed Novocaine. to work. It's Novocaine. So, because he's a dentist. So, so what? the Novocaine's supposed to numb your arms and you can't, but she can still f- fire a weapon, it seems. So, I think her firing it is, I don't really know exactly. It doesn't make sense because she just have to squeeze the trigger, yeah, right? I think she like has to push down on her finger on another object. So like her finger gets pushed against the trigger. It's Maybe. Like, I'm not really 100% really know how that, sure how that, that works. works. But the best parts of it were when she had the knife taped to the other hand. And because when she would stab somebody, she just used momentum, right? Yes. So she would like wing her arm wing around. Her arm around <laughs> so then it would stab one guy, but she didn't have, she couldn't use her arms. She couldn't use muscles to pull the knife out. And so the, this leads to a whole series of kills that was so well choreographed and so fun. It's so fun. Because they, as the guy's like trying to push her off of him, right? To well, get they're the all out. slowly moving because they're all injured. So they're hobbling around well, with guns trying have, to like They just shoot took a bunch her. of nitrous oxide. So they're laughing, by the way, this entire time <laughs> that this is happening, which just adds to the scene. But uh, yeah, as they like push her off, her the momentum again makes her swing around and like slash another guy's throat. And so by default they end up kind of killing each other because she can't really use her arms and so as they each keep trying to like attack her and push her and do all these things they're inadvertently also injuring themselves uh, which i thought was just such an incredible fun interesting way to stage this scene where they're high off nitrous oxide she has novocaine in both of her <laughs> arms like it was just so brilliant and i also thought i don't know if this is intentional or not but i thought it was kind of a clever line is uh, towards she already killed the other two guys. There's one guy left, and he's um, on the floor next to the counter, and there's this giant, like, tooth canister where she had to put her gun originally. And she's up on the counter, and she's, like, pushing it with her feet. And you realize she's going to drop it on him. And as she goes to drop it on him, this is when she calls him a bonehead. And I thought it was funny because <laughs> a tooth is bone, yeah. right? You know, and it's <laughs> dropped on his head. Anyways. And again, I, we've talked about that. I've said this several times. That whole scene reminds me of Kill Bill Volume 1, where you know Uma Thurman is having to drag herself yes. out of the hospital bed and get yes. into, remember the pussy wagon like <laughs> car that she steals from the... Yes. You know, like, because Iconic. It's kind of like she can't move her arms. She can't yes. do so. She had to have another person help her tape the weapons, the, the young girl, yeah. <laughs> tape the weapons to her hands. And then in the next scene after that help her drive yes. in the parking garage, which leads to another fight scene because the rest of the, what is it? The the McAllister gang yeah. has found her at this point and is trying to kill her. So now right. she's driving crazy around the parking garage. Or yes. I should say, Sam is pushing the pedals. Yes. While the Emily, well, Emily yeah. is Which, driving. by the way, I'm like, this girl's like, Fast and the Furious level yes. driving because like eight years old. Yes, I mean, like literally the maneuvers that were happening. I was like, I would be able to do that, and I've been driving <laughs> for like fifteen years. So you know, like it was kind of, cr- but it was fun. It was like I can suspend my belief for this moment because it was just so fun. Again, creative. Well, yeah, and like well choreographed. And by the way, speaking of a big nod to Kill Bill, um, 
they basically give her this kind of uniform a little bit because when she's at the bowling alley, the bowling jacket. She's, yeah, yeah, she's told to kind of remove certain articles of clothing. Well, because she has a big trench, which I get because they're like, then you can't hide weapons under your trench coat, right? So she takes it off. But then when she turns around, she sees this like bowling jacket and I guess decides she wants to wear that instead. And so she zips it up and that's what she wears for the rest of the film, which again, this is now kind of, I think going to be an iconic image for this character, this like tiger bowling jacket. Like I feel like if people dressed as her for Halloween, like, you would get it. You would get it, right? Yeah. I mean, there's other elements that you had mentioned before when we were talking about this in pre-show. You have that panda cell phone yes. that was given to them by the thieves to you know take the call, right? And the panda suitcase, suitcase. as well. So I feel like if you had <laughs> the bowling the jacket, the panda cell phone, and the panda suitcase, that would be something that would be recognizable from this film for sure. Oh yeah, definitely. So they, I think they kind of know what they're doing in that aspect. Like. Like, you know, like like Kill Bill, she has the yellow jumpsuit and then there's the pussy wagon and then yeah. there's um the one out the Moschino outfit that I think Elle what's her face uh oh, wears in the hospital. What is her name? It's the, kind of, the, yeah, with the one the eye patch. Yes, I don't I'm so My sorry. My god. Guys. They're they're screaming at us right now. I know. This is why the we have one star. people that are listening to us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um so but anyways. I want to skip ahead a little bit because there's another fight scene coming up that I think is really one of my favorites. One, so, you know, there's several other things that happen. Uh, she meets back up with her mom again in a safe house, uh, who is played by Lena Hetty, as we've said. Uh, they, you know, go through a couple of fight scenes here. And, you know, if there's anything you want to mention, well, there's a one quick fight scene where they're escaping. But then they end up back in the library again. And that's right. where we now see all three librarians again. And we get a little more backstory and we get a ton of action and you know one thing i want to comment on before we get into that jade is i know that the you know you have sam and you have lena henny who's who's supposed to be the mom mm-hmm. I, it doesn't feel like a mother-daughter relationship that they create on scene it almost feels like they're more sisters well there's than only a 14 year age difference between the actresses so i that's guess that's probably true. why <laughs> I guess maybe that's why <laughs> um yeah they definitely didn't play into that a lot i don't know if that's because they're trying to sell you on the fact that she hasn't been a part of sam's life since she was so young so maybe you know she's not sure how to be overly maternal um or we also kind of see that sam seems to be not very emotional person she doesn't seem to really connect very easily to people and she's very guarded and a little bit more clinical and so i don't know if that also plays into their relationship but you're right it it doesn't it's not a very strong like mother-daughter bond that we Mm -hmm. see (laughs) but i i think probably one of my favorite fight sequences aside from the dentist scene is this last, well, I guess it's not really the last one, but close to that final battle. It's kind in, of a major climax. Yeah, yeah, in the library scene because we get so many different perspectives from all of the main characters and a lot of great weapons, a lot of great sequences. What's maybe one of your favorites? I, I have a couple, but what's one of your favorites, Jade? Um, I love when Scarlet gets her her pistols, which I guess were like probably her like iconic pistols she used back in the day. You see that they um, have dragons on them. And then later we see that there's these like attachable like knives that also have the dragon motif on them that she uses when she's out of bullets. And it's so freaking cool. Like the scenes that are done with these like dueling pistols, like knives 
so cool. <laughs> um, I also love the moment when Carla Cugino comes up from that like minibus with a submachine gun. Oh my god, I wrote this down. I wrote so this yeah. is my Jade. So I wrote it out. I was like, <laughs> Carla, I said, with a machine gun, I am here for it. Like this just sold me on the whole movie. She comes up out of that van and just starts pelting everyone yeah. with the, the minigun and I was like yes. No it was I mean incredible and even shortly after that because I had also seen earlier you know she pulled out this freaking cool looking tomahawk that she called Tommy the Tomahawk which also is the same dragon. So by the way this dragon motif that's on the guns and the tomahawk I'm curious to see if this will play into something later if this is some sort of guild they were a part of is this a symbol of the librarians like what does this mean to them because this is the second time we've seen this symbol but anyways i love when she eventually did pull it out and fought that last final guy with it it's just it's just a freaking cool weapon um to see her wield it so i yeah i was really excited about those scenes uh, and, i mean really everyone got a chance to get michelle yao's character with the, the chain, chain that she fought a bunch of people with so which was badass. great and then you had uh, angela bassett with the dual hammers as we already mentioned yep. who just went crazy in this oh my god scene. and like, then you know finally karen gillen you know she's like between the guns and the knives and like hand to hand i mean yep. left and right she's taken on you know bad guys so uh, just such a cool like i said amazingly choreographed fight scene personally like yeah there are better ones out there sure but this was still so well done so fun like it's everything you want in an action movie for sure by the way there was the two um sections of the library that uh, michelle yao was fighting in and angela bassett was fighting in that actually reminded me a little bit of the page master Oh, yeah. It had, yeah. like, the tree in there. Yeah, and... there was one that was, like, the fantasy forest yep. land. And then the other one was kind of, like, this adventure land with, like, the shipwreck. And a page master, she's, like, this, like, fairy. And then he's, like, a pirate for adventure and fantasy. And I was, like, <laughs> is this intentional? Or am I the only one that's seeing this? <laughs> oh, fantastic. And then, uh, you know, there's even, like, I think a little nod to Game of Thrones with Lena Headey's character where she has a line and says, you know, I'll do anything for my family. And I was like, oh, instant, like, Cersei Lannister, you know, even like the dragons a little bit. I was like, is that that a little Game of Thrones? I was like, dragons, interesting choice. (laughs) And I do have to say, since we had talked soundtracks so heavily with the last couple episodes, one of my favorite uses of soundtrack was and they played Peace of My Heart by Janis Joplin. Mm. And this is kind of also used in a little bit of the slow-mo fight scenes. And I loved it because of the way they used it is they use it as both diegetic and non-diegetic sound. So the girl Emily is listening to the song on the headphones that they gave her so she couldn't you know listen to the sound of everyone fighting so it starts out like low and through her headphones and then we hear it as the audience so this would be uh what is it non-diegetic yeah so like yeah um sound and so we're listening to it and it's now playing as they show scenes of everyone fighting and then kind of it comes back to that diegetic sound where it's back to her listening to the headphones as carly Gugino like opens the door um to be like with her but anyways i just thought it was such a fun cool use of soundtrack here and it was such a great song as, like as well i mean just the whole thing from beginning to end is is creative fun you know, entertaining. Like I said, in the beginning, you know, of our review, I didn't feel like there was a moment that dragged and I, I didn't know the movie was two hours until I had actually checked the time Same. on on the screen when it was almost over. At that yeah. point, the movie was almost at the end. But, 
you know, one of the other classic things before we kind of wrap things up here that I enjoyed is there's another final kind of showdown moment in the diner at the yes. end of the movie. And it gave me spaghetti western vibes because you had oh, this right, like yeah. I can't do it right with that little but whistling yeah, sound yeah. you well, get from it, the good, the bad, and the I ugly. I even said this earlier. I watch with captions and it even had said mariachi music as the description. <laughs> and I was like, ah. Okay, Sergei Leone. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. Exactly. Uh so you know, just to kind of sum things up, we've kind of given a bunch away, but I think there's still plenty to go out there and you know watch. There's plenty of hidden things that you still are gonna enjoy in this yeah. film. Where in terms of rating, where would you put this, Jade? I would say this is a gym for me, um, for sure. Oh. Yeah. I think this is just one that like I think people should see it's it's fun, it's interesting, there's great action in it, there's great actors. I think this is something that people are probably going to be talking about a little bit, maybe not everyone, but um, I will say, like, I, I do know that they purchased um, a sequel, so there is... There one, is a cliffhanger at the yeah, end, so there's so a little bit of a cliffhanger. But yeah, I rated it as just a gem. I definitely think people should go out and see it if you enjoy this kind of thing like I think it's gonna be right up your alley so and then for you you know actually I think I'm a little bit lower on this and it's not to take anything away I think that this is a shelf for me <laughs> only because you know I don't think that this is going to be an icon film it could mm-hmm. become I mean I'm not gonna say it's not gonna become a cult classic because no one really knows what's a cult classic until five ten years after the right. fact really but for me, I think it's kind of a shame. I don't think it's going to get much recognition in terms of awards. I don't think that it's going yeah, to you true. know really be talked about in Oscar or Golden Globe season. But it's still such a fun, enjoyable movie. Like right. if this movie for me was at you know Best Buy in the bargain bin, like for five dollars or whatever, and I saw it, I'd be like, this has to be owned and it has to come into my collection because <laughs> I will watch it again. Like there's, I yeah. will sit down and watch this movie again for sure. It's really fun and enjoyable. Yeah, absolutely. So that kind of wraps up our review of Gunpowder Milkshake, and that's streaming right now on Netflix. I'm coming for you. You are an incredibly impressive young woman. There's not a single person on earth I'd rather kill people with. Thanks, Ma. You know, Jay, just before we close out, I want to talk about local filmmaking. So we're both from Tampa. We live in the Tampa area. And people might not think this, but there's a lot of films both in the past and even currently that are being shot right here in Tampa. Right, yeah. I mean, between either just being filmed here or films about here, um, I think there's a a good amount that people, yeah, like you said, don't really realize. You know, one of the people that I know likes to shoot here is Tim Burton. People might not know this, but Edward Scissorhands (laughs) was... Now, not referenced in the film, but shot locally just north of Tampa. Yep. Uh, actually, the home that is featured in that movie just recently sold, I think, last year or something like that. Oh, my God. It made local news there. Yeah, that neighborhood is not even that far away from where it's I live. Re- yeah, really not. <laughs> also, one of my favorites, it's just a small part of the movie, but in Goodfellas. Yes. You know that scene where they send someone to Florida at, to a zoo, that little, like, maybe couple right. minute sequence? Mm-hmm. That Tampa Zoo is actually Zoo Tampa here in the area. Yeah, it's right. just up the road from where we are. So yeah, I always think that those references are funny. But are there some movies that maybe are some of your favorites that have been shot locally in the Tampa area? 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, as far as just shot in Tampa and not about Tampa, um, definitely The Punisher with Thomas Jane and Rebecca Romaine. Um, They did a lot. That was in Ybor City. And then actually the very ending of that film is him on his knees on the Skyway Bridge when they shoot it from above. The Skyway Bridge here is very recognizable. So these very huge, like big uh, yellow arches. And that's kind of seen in actually a couple other things as well. Um, And then also... Probably, like, let's see, Miss Peregrine's School for Peculiar Children. That was filmed in Sarasota. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. I feel like we can have a conversation without talking about Dolphin Tale and Dolphin Tale 2 because that is based right here at Clearwater just across the bay. Yes. So, I mean, those are iconic. People love those types of movies. Yeah. Um, and those are, like, particular to us because that's a true story about yeah. the actual, you know, what is her name? Winter. The yep, Dolphin. Winter the Dolphin. Yeah, so she's real. She's there. <laughs> Another popular movie that people don't know was shot in the area is Cocoon. I mean, that's, yes. you know, the, I mean, very popular <laughs> movie that was shot in the Tampa area. Yeah, as I was St. Petersburg, um, which makes sense because it's a bunch of old people. So, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and recently what we've had is kind of a slew of Hallmark movies being shot here in the Tampa area. One of them, Jade, being by, I know, one of your favorite actors, Martin Cove. Who oh, yes, Cobra Kai, Cobra Kai and the, the original Karate Kid. <laughs> the Karate Kid. Yeah, so he's he's the um he's the mean uh instructor that Johnny went to, uh Crease. Crease, yeah, yeah, John Crease. Yeah, the movie. so yeah, but yeah, he's in this Hallmark movie randomly. Uh that's being shot here. Yeah, it's called A Taste of Love. Actually, he stars in it, Martin Cove. His son right. actually will star in it as well. That's right, yeah. Um we we didn't sign up, but I know a lot of local people signed up to be extras in that film yes. because they had a casting call for the yep. local uh, community. Which kind of. I actually almost signed up for one for the infiltrator with Brian Cranston when Ooh. that was filming here as well. Um which people might not realize that was also that's story locally also about Tampa um there's another show too coming out that looks interesting there's not a whole lot of details it was just announced by Amazon Prime but it's called Tampa Bays have you heard of this Jade yeah so I was like one of the very first people to like see it essentially and immediately had to text Josh because it is about um lesbians in the Tampa Bay area and their life and it's just super interesting to me because I don't know quite they have no information on IMDb yet so I don't know if they're in post-production or if they're producing it now because a part of me was like wait a minute I haven't seen them around anywhere I haven't what, <laughs> I know where, yeah. I was I was too like you we were talking about this back and forth and I was also looking like on my social media like am I connected to these people in any way because yes, I, I was like I don't know anything it's supposed to be are. about the in crowd kind of like really trendy uh, lesbians in Tampa I mean yeah. that's what it's supposed to be and right. the relationships I don't know but there's not a lot of information. There's like, nothing. Is it so. supposed to be like a real housewives kind of a thing? Yes. Is it more like a real world? Like what are yeah. we, I don't I have no I, idea what it's gonna yeah. be about. So I'm I'm just I'm interested to see what this turns out to be, where they film, like locations, if they know anyone I know. I don't know, <laughs> you know. So that that's gonna be one to to look out for to maybe hate watch. <laughs> uh, maybe I mean, or maybe it'll be an amazing show. I, I'll say that you know one thing we'll probably be talking about more on the show is we have some great film festivals locally that are coming up later. Not I think some of them already passed this year, but next year. So if we're still doing the show at that time, we're definitely going to be getting in and, and t- trying to talk to some people and and see what are those upcoming shows are going to be or yeah. movies. And um, I definitely have to say one movie that's currently out now in um, theaters is Zola, which is... Oh, yes. Yeah. So this... We need to review this at some point. Oh, my God. I mean, absolutely, because this is a, a true story 
story um, and it was something that was viral. This woman, Zola, had actually tweeted it and it's funny because I remember reading these tweets live as she was tweeting them because it take you know it took place in Tampa. So I was like, oh, well, I I have to know what happened. And um, they when they filmed the movie, of course, they filmed it here and they filmed it at a lot of the locations where her story takes place. And most of this is like right here in our neighborhoods, like you know, <laughs> like we're very familiar with this. So I absolutely have to see it and all these crazy hijinks because I'm like, well, this is um this is Tampa for you. Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what we forgot to mention that we were talking about in pre-show. Spring Breakers. Oh, my God. I know James Franco is always in town, right? Yeah, he he frequently visits here. He often comes for the Gasparilla movie festival that we have every single year. Um, And so he actually stayed in St. Pete for a while before production began. And I guess he followed around a local rapper to kind of mimic his character after him and also familiarize himself with, like, the area and the people. (laughs) Um, But that movie does not portray the area very in a very great light. Um, and that was another one. That was another movie that featured the uh, Skyway Bridge as well. You see the overhead shot of the girls on the bus crossing um, the Skyway Bridge. But uh, also, personally, one of my favorites that I actually saw being filmed was Magic Mike. Um, oh, yes. Yeah. Because, because Channing Tatum, Tatum is from the area. Yeah. He went to K- Tampa Catholic and um, he stripped here. And that was kind of the whole <laughs> point of this film. There's a lot of strip clubs here, like a lot, a lot. And so they filmed, yeah, heavily in Ybor City, which is the historic city here. And actually, that's where um, I got to see them film. So that was him and Alex Pettifer and Olivia Munn when they were down here. And um, it's funny because... In the movie, they go into this club. They're outside. It's the amphitheater. So that's a real club here um, that I used to go to all the time <laughs> in my like early college days. It was very much like an EDM club. It had a spinning dance floor, like rotating dance floor. And the best part is, is in that movie, when they go into the actual club, that is not the club <laughs> at all. It wouldn't even fit in that building, whatever they show. I'm like, that's, <laughs> that's not even close. Um, but yeah, so... If you ever are interested in like some cool local Tampa stuff or movies and films about Tampa, those are some ones to check out. 100%. And you know, one last person I have to mention is David Batista. He actually lives in the area too. Most people might know him. A lot of celebrities actually live yeah, here. I, I mean, don't think people realize. So many. I mean, he's from the WWE. I mean, folks yeah. who watch that. Which is also located in Orlando. In Orlando. Yeah. They tape a lot of that in the yep. Orlando area. <laughs> but, you know, he's in things like Avengers and, and many other movies now oh God, uh, that's yeah. really popular. So he's another local celebrity that we always, I always like to look out for his movies just because I know he's kind of around. And I'm, he's yeah. One of those people I always hope to kind of like run into somewhere randomly, oh like ooh, like you know. Me too. I mean, I did run into Hulk Hogan. He, I, feel like, um, I feel like every everyone. I feel like Tampa. everyone who's lived in this area has run into Hulk Hogan at some point. He's everywhere, by the way. Um, but yeah, and of course because there's a Scientology Center in Clearwater, so I. Tom Cruise is in the area now. Yes, I and I've I personally have met quite a few celebrities from my work, and um, it's just it's just so bizarre because you just don't think of. Tampa as like a movie town, but nope. I mean, I think we're the number one Scientology podcast now. Um, absolutely. 100%. <laughs> we're going to give ourselves the, you know, that accolades every single time yeah, until yeah. we're, you know, actually famous. <laughs> Anyway, well, I think that's enough for us for this week. Uh, you know, we have something exciting coming up in the mini show this week, uh, Jade. We have actually talking about local film. We have a local Orlando filmmaker, Mike yes. Beckemeyer, who's going to share his opinion on 
really a whole bunch of things, blockbuster movies and uh, a number of other things. But, you know, he actually has produced a a few low budget movies in the area. And it has another podcast, uh, Film Reverie, that is going to have some episodes coming up very soon uh, that are going to be released. So definitely check him out and uh, tune in for our mini-sode. But what else, Jane? Do we have anything else we want to talk about before we... No, just remember to rate, review, and uh, subscribe if you can, and then um, follow us on socials. We are on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And we'll be back next week. See you later. To get ourselves a treat. Okay, great.